Hi, I'm your host, Megan Whiteside. I'm a lawyer and a mom, and I know how trying to balance the two can leave you feeling depleted and stuck. Are you ready to reframe your mindset, own your power, and set yourself up for success? You're listening to the Mom Life & Law Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Mom Life and Law. I am here with my friend and colleague, another Megan. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself and let the listeners know what you do. Hi, Megan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I've been enjoying the podcast so far. Uh, I am Megan Siddle. I am the managing partner of Minor Siddle, which is an all-woman boutique criminal defense law firm in Boston. I am also a mom to a delightful four-year-old girl, Zoe, who tells me that she's going to be a lawyer when she grows up, and uh, a wife to my husband, Ben. I love that your daughter is already aspiring to be a lawyer. We uh, we will welcome her into our ranks if she so chooses. So what was your journey to being a named partner, a managing partner of your own law firm? Well, it's been a long road. I So um, when I was in law school, I think I really envisioned taking a more traditional path uh, through, you know, clerkship, going to big law, I sort of assumed I would just stay in big law for the rest of my career. And I started on that path. I, you know, graduated from law school, did a federal clerkship in New York, um, went to a big firm in DC that I loved, um, had a lot of good trial and litigation experience there and some really brilliant, wonderful colleagues. But while I was there, I realized that I was spending a lot of my time worrying about the firm, worrying about the partners I was working with. Um, Were they happy with my work? Was I doing what they wanted at any given time? When I laid awake thinking about, you know, what was I worried about in the middle of the night? It was usually what was going on in the partner's minds. It wasn't so much what's going on in my client's minds. And of course, I I went to law school um, to represent clients and and to to advance their cases and advocate on their behalf. And it started to really bother me that I, I think my mind was more focused on the firm and not so much on my clients. So I decided, you know, big law may not be the best fit for me. Uh, So I left, um, moved to Boston, where my husband's job was at the time, joined a small firm here in Boston with, um, I was incredibly unfortunate that my now partner, Tracy Miner, had just left um, her own big firm and was establishing a white collar defense practice uh, at a boutique here in Boston. So I got the opportunity to join with her. After a few years, we realized we were kind of operating on our own anyway, so we should make it official and and operate on our own. So so here we are. We've had our doors open for about two years. Um, we recently hired a, a fabulous associate as well. So we are we are busy and and growing um, and thrilled to be doing what I'm doing every day. That's so awesome <laughs> that you took the leap and really took the time, I guess, for self reflection first, and then took the leap to really follow what what was meaningful for you about your practice. So if we could go back to big law, because I imagine there are listeners 
who are experiencing that, who have the panic of, am I meeting the partner's expectation? And I don't think it's it's just big law. I think that in, in other smaller and mid-sized law firms, a lot of us experience that where we're, we're trying to make sure we meet the expectations of our bosses. What right. was your, your process of realizing that's what was keeping you up at night to actually making a bold change in your career? <laughs> Uh, that's that's a great question, and I'm not sure there was one moment when I woke up and said, you know, I, I need to make some big change. Um, I, you know, I think it was a gradual process. Uh, I, I would say my honeymoon was uh, was an important moment. Um, I, you know, had had gone far out of my way to make sure that the work that needed to get done before I left was was done. And I ended up getting some comments on some things while I was on my honeymoon and uh, having to work, you know, sitting in a villa with my new husband in Thailand. And I just realized this isn't this isn't what I want to be doing. I want to have a little bit more control over my own schedule. You know, I, I don't mind working long hours for clients when it's necessary um, and it often is necessary. But I do like to be able to have some choices about when those hours are going to occur. And that's really something you only get, I think, completely on your own. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't last long after returning from my honeymoon. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think that's such a, an important time too. like, he, this is a very special moment in your life. We don't, at least I don't know that many lawyers who take long vacations, save for their honeymoons, or at least that's maybe the first big one that they take after, you know, graduating law school. And that really shows like a lack of boundaries of your prior employer where you had put the vacation time down, you're out of the country and here we are, I, I need your help, I need your feedback, I need your comments, can you revise this document? What? How much longer after that until you made your transition? Six months, <laughs> it wasn't long at all. It, it was definitely a, a banner moment for me. That sounds like a pretty pivotal <laughs> moment. Right. <laughs> So what has been important about having that client focus now in your practice and having control of your time? What has been important about that for you? That is my favorite thing about having our own practice. Um, I, I, I am very dedicated specifically to representing individuals who've been accused of wrongdoing. That is not something that every law firm wants their lawyers doing. Um, sometimes my clients are controversial. Sometimes they have negative pu publicity, but it is work that's very valuable and meaningful and in important to me. Um, and so one of the most important aspects of being out my own is that no one says no to me. I can take whatever clients I want. Um, I can turn down whatever clients I want. Um, and I can, you know, I can charge them whatever I want. If, if it's a client that I think has a really worthwhile case, I, you know, I can... I can make it work financially that in, a, in a way that is, is manageable for them. Um, you know, having low overhead in a small firm is also a big help in, in setting out your own path. And I can take um, indigent representations and, and court appointments whenever I want. You know, the, the rates on those cases are usually quite low, and that's not always something that a law firm wants you to do, but it is important to me. I think it's an obligation of any criminal defense lawyer to take a hefty amount of indigent defense, and I want that to be a significant part of my practice going forward, and I, I'm thrilled that I'm able to do that. So what has that been like? Um, the being out of my own or the... 
All of it, <laughs> being able to have that power of choice and to follow your passions and what really is meaningful to you and in alignment with your values. The best part of this job is every day I wake up and I know that I'm going to go into an office where I make the decisions about what's what I'm going to work on um, and how my day is going to go. And it, it's just, it's, it's incredibly liberating to know that I, that I'm, I'm the one who's setting the course I'm in charge. Um, and, and it is something that I've been pestering a lot of my friends to consider doing as well. Why is that? Um, you know, I, 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 I think, so when I was in law school, I did not see myself as somebody who ever could have gone out on my own or somebody who could develop business on my own. I sort of envisioned myself as, you know, a service partner to somebody else who would be a rainmaker because I knew I would do good legal work, but I didn't really think that I could gain the independence of having my own client base. Um, and so, it, it, and I, I think I'm naturally fairly shy. And so if, if I can do that, I think many of my wonderful fabulous friends who are often even smarter than me and better lawyers than me and just incredibly vibrant women um, are absolutely capable of doing the same. Um, and I, you know, whenever, whenever I hear a friend complaining that their job is difficult, I'm always pushing them, you know, you should think about it, it either going out on your own, but it doesn't even have to be going out on your own. If you're working within a firm, you really have to think about how you can gain independence over your own practice rather than being dependent on other attorneys that you are working uh, for and, and with. Yeah, I think it's uh, it is scary. At least I can say personally, you know, looking at all of the badass women I know who own their <laughs> law firms, it it feels intimidating. The idea of, you know, leaving the security of, you know, whatever compensation structure, you know, we may have to being both independent, it's it's two sides to the coin, right? Independent, you get to have the choice and the freedom to do what you want, but then it's all on you. That's scary. <laughs> It, it is. I mean, I, I'll tell you when we first opened our doors, I was terrified. I said to my husband, I, I hope I ever get a paycheck again in, in my life. <laughs> um, it is it is absolutely terrifying, especially going out on your own when you may have to put in a little bit of money to start up the firm in the first place. So you have a little bit of skin in the game from day one, um, even aside from your compensation. Um, but you will be surprised at how people will be attracted to a firm that knows what they want to do. Um, and is out there um, advocating um, for themselves. So, you, yeah, <laughs> it's like just it seems like what you're saying is just be yourself and have a firm that is in alignment with your values. And if you put that out there, the clients will come. Is that what I'm is that am I picking up what you're putting down? Absolutely. That that has been my experience so far. Um, and, and I think that's been the experience of other um, women law firm owners that I've spoken with as well, who may have a different approach from me, but approach that works for them um, and, and have been successful as well in their own rights. So if a listener is considering going out on her own and starting her own law firm, either as a solo or with a partner or a few partners, what words of advice do you have for her? My first word of advice is do it. Do it now. Um, don't wait. There's, there's no time to wait. It's, it's the most freeing experience you'll ever have. Um, but I think I, on the more practical side, I would say, um, you know, think through what, what your brand is what you are putting forth in the marketplace and, and stay true to that brand, that expertise that you're offering your clients um, from day one. 
Um, you know, think about how the name of your firm will reflect it, how the branding of your firm will reflect it, how your website can reflect it. That's an opportunity to reach out to clients, each one of those. Um, I would also say get out there and network um, as much as you possibly can. It, every lawyer you meet is or every every contact you meet in any capacity is a potential future client or a future referral source. And then the best thing you can do for yourself is to really build up that network. Um, and then I would uh, then I would recommend that you reach out to, um, you know, a, a law firm that you admire that, you know, someone that you think um, has the kind of practice that you would like to have and, and just just invite them out for coffee when the pandemic is over or maybe a Zoom uh, chat if, <laughs> if, if, if you're thinking in the shorter term uh, and, you know, it, ask them um, what they did when they opened doors, how they bring in their clients um, and how they organize their firm as well. Um, one, one, one thing I have realized in the course of this adventure is that law firms are not particularly complicated businesses. So the actual business end of it is fairly straightforward and there's a lot of resources out there to help you with it. Yeah, it's a, what is outside of our, education and experience as lawyers is often the business side of it. And I can see how that would be intimidating. So it's encouraging to hear, but maybe it's not that complicated. You know, um, I, I love that. So what have you found in this journey to law firm ownership? Um, what has been your superpower and how has it shown up for you? Sure. So I, I think my superpower is is empathy. Um, which is not something you see. Um, I, I'm not sure that most lawyers would consider that a superpower, but I, I found it's been really helpful to me. Um, obviously, it's a superpower as a as a mom and as a, a friend and a, a family member. That's sort of self evident. But but as a, a business owner and as um, a, as an attorney, it's really helped me in two ways. Um, one is when I meet with clients. Um, I, and this is not a story that I go into with them, obviously, but I think they can sort of sense, um, you know, my, my own family has had their own experiences with the criminal legal system, I think, which is true for a lot of people, both on the victim side and on the side of people who are maybe struggling with mental health problems or with substance abuse problems and are maybe facing potential criminal consequences. Um, so, you know, I, I don't ever tell that story to my clients when I meet with them, but I think they can sense when I meet with them that they are about to go down one of the most difficult roads in their lives and that I've been down some of those roads or at least at least some of the, the side roads that they may be passing on this journey. Um, and I, I, I think that helps bring in clients into our firm to get a sense that we, we care about what's happening to them. We are concerned that this is going to have a serious impact on their life. We want to think practically with them about the best way to minimize any of the consequences they may possibly be facing or fight um, the charges that they're facing for clients who really want to, to fight those. Um, you know, we, we are going to be there with them for the entire journey. And in the middle of the night when they have nobody else to call because they can't talk about this stuff with just anybody because this is all potentially attorney client privilege information, um, you know, they can call us at any time and we are always going to be there for them. There's a very big counseling role in our, our client management and our client relationships. It's also incredibly helpful as we work up uh, our, our case. Um, you know, just to take one example, if, if a client has decided that pleading guilty is the best course of conduct for them, 
they are going to show up to their change of plea hearing before a judge who has only ever read the indictment. And the indictment is going to be a numbered list of the worst things that my client has ever may or may not have done. But it's never a flattering document. It's written by the government. I rarely have any input into what goes into the indictment. And it tells the story of the worst moment of my client's life. But nobody is ever the worst thing that they've ever done or the worst thing they've ever been accused of doing. Every single client I've ever had has a story that brought them to this place. Um, and it is my job to get to know my clients, to empathize with my clients, and to understand what brought them here, and to make sure that when we get to sentencing, the judge, even the prosecutor, and the probation office have all heard something more about my clients, something that explains why they're here, why leniency might be the right outcome, um, and why this is not a person that we should be giving up on. And then that's also true for clients who choose not to plead guilty. If you go to trial, I, I'm going to want to convey to the jury that this is a good person who maybe committed, you know, maybe, maybe did or maybe didn't do something wrong, um, but that the government has got them, has got the story wrong, that there's something more to my client than what you're going to hear from the government's witnesses. And that really requires getting to know my clients as, as people. Yes, I think that it's imperative, especially those of us who do trial work um, and have to speak to a, a jury who, when we walk into the courtroom, do doesn't trust us no. um, and maybe doesn't trust our clients, right? Um, as a civil trial lawyer representing injured people, I'm often kind of in the same boat as you as a criminal defense attorney, or the jury's a little skeptical. Um, and so I love that perspective of you understand the value of the story and the whole person and you're looking for ways to convey that in the context of the defense to the charge what has that been like just playing out in in your cases and, and in your client representation sure so um it, you know i just to give some examples you know, if, if, if we have a client who's accused of a violent crime, I, I think having an empathetic woman attorney is actually hugely helpful in front of the jury because there, I, I can convey to the jury without even saying a word that I trust my client, that I think my client's a good person, and that I am not afraid of my client. You know, I'm sitting right next to them. I'm leaning into them. I'm putting my arm around them sometimes at tough moments, showing that this is a person who's valuable and who, and who I care about. Um, you would also convey it, you know, in, in cross-examinations of even witnesses who've been harmed by, potentially by my client. You know, how, how you approach them, you don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be um, rude to, to, that, to that witness. Um, you can be sympathetic to where they are, but, but just, you know, elicit the few points that maybe suggest that, you know, maybe if my client, um, if, if my defense is that my client isn't the one who harmed this person, you know, maybe elicit some, a few details that help point out that maybe the person who they're talking about isn't actually my client or, or whatever, whatever the defense is. Um, but you always have to think about how you're presenting in front of a jury. And I think women attorneys present very differently than male attorneys, especially in a, a federal criminal case, which is most of my cases where 
The other side is usually men, usually white men, usually very aggressive white men. And I can really be a, a contrast to them. Has that always been your style, you know, both in what you described of your client interactions one-on-one -on -one, and also your interactions in the context of a trial? Or is that something that you've sort of grown into as an attorney? So it, it's it's both really, I would say. So I think that's sort of naturally who I tend to be. And I, I would say at the beginning of my career, I tried to fight that a bit um, and, and realize that comes across as unnatural. You know, I, I'm just not an overly aggressive presenting person. And so I don't know that presenting aggressively is going to be the right style for me. It's certainly something I can do when I, when I need to do it for the client. And, but I, I've just realized I can be aggressive by making aggressive arguments without necessarily presenting aggressive physically. Yes. I, I teach trial advocacy um, at my law school and it's, it's been such an interesting journey, both in my growth as a trial lawyer, but then also getting the opportunity to teach where I think a lot of law students and maybe a lot of lawyers think there's just one way to perform, if you will, in trial. And that is what you kind of see male lawyers doing and being aggressive and loud and intense. But sometimes there can be true power in being methodical and a little bit mm -hmm. calmer and inquisitive. And there's, so it's just really figuring out what works for you. And it sounds like you have found that being true to who you are and who, you know, how you operate in everyday life, you've found a way to use that effectively in trial. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that, has that been your experience? Yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm going to make the most aggressive and creative argument I can for my client, but the way I present it might be, you know, it might be, as you said, methodical, um, straightforward, um, you know, I want the witness to also trust me. And I, and I think that that's something that my style, a witness, it is going to be a little bit more trusting of, of me than perhaps someone who came in with guns blazing from the get-go. Yeah. So it, you have been very encouraging to lawyer moms I know, and it sounds like with your friend group of, uh, you know, I, I've seen you been, be very supportive when folks ask questions about starting their own law firm. Um, how, what have the challenges been, right? So you're very encouraging that this is something you've got to do, having the, you know, the autonomy and the independence and being able to be true to yourself and your values is what's hard about what you do. Well, at the end of the day, there there is no backstop for me. Um, you know, I, and there, um, you know, I, the, if the work has to get done and the clients need to be brought in and the fees need to be collected, or else I'm not bringing home a paycheck. My employees aren't bringing home a paycheck, and and that's that's a problem. So, <laughs> I would say the hardest is just worrying about. You know, am I am I going to be able to bring in enough work next month or the month after that? And I I don't think that's a worry that's ever going to go away. Fortunately, it, that worry has always um, has never manifested so far. <laughs> but it, but it's always something that that you have to that you have to think about and consider. So how do you? deal with that worry and charge forward and and because you've found a lot of success as a law firm owner and, and as a trial lawyer. So what are your strategies to to help other women law firm owners with potentially that same stress, most likely that same stress? 
Right. <laughs> I mean, I think you have to take it one day at, at a time. Um, you know, I, the, 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 the technique that has helped me deal with that kind of worry the most is getting out there and networking some more. If I'm worried about it, it's probably because I'm, I know that I've, I've fallen back a little bit on my marketing or, or my networking and that I need to get back out there. And usually that will, that will, you know, the, then the phone will start ringing again and business is picking up again and, and that worry has been resolved. <laughs> Yeah. So how are you coping with that during the pandemic when we can't necessarily go to lunch or go to bar association events or other social events? Yeah. I mean, I've had to take a, diff a number of different approaches. Um, you know, we still have email. Zoom is a good tool. I don't want to overuse it because I think we are a little bit tired of doing Zoom calls with with everybody. Um, but I've, I've been sort of opportunistic. Um, you know, you and I are, are both members of a, a of a, a lawyer moms networking group um, who uh, there's been a number of women who've been considering starting their own firms in that group. And as you said, I've sort of, I, you know, I've been talking to them a fair amount. I've, I think I've made some good connections that way in the pandemic. I've had a few phone calls with, with some of those women and really encouraged um, them as they opened their doors. And I think those kinds of one-on-one -on -one connections are still feasible, but, but absolutely it's, it's going to be another, I don't even know, six months, nine months before we can really have in person again. Um, but I, I think we will all be, we'll, we'll all be tired of the parties we're going to in six months, <laughs> nine months, because everyone's going to be throwing one, right? <laughs> so, I am yeah, so ready. <laughs> yes, I know. I All of the bar association events that we used to dread or go, oh, I'm going to miss bedtime because I'm to go to this thing. I am really actually looking forward to a few of those, but. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what's next? What are your goals or what are you looking forward to next year? Or I guess when this airs this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to growing our firm. I think we might be in a position to, to talk about hiring again soon. We're, we've been pretty busy, fortunately, during the pandemic. Um, I have also um, been picking up a fair amount of criminal appeals to work on. I'm expanding and, and growing our um, appellate practice. I was always the attorney who did our internal appellate briefs and, you know, writing is one of my strengths. And I think my partner was saying, you know, you should, <laughs> you should be trying to bring in, in, in appeals just on their own rather than just appealing our own, the, ca the cases that we've tried. So I've been soliciting a few of those appeals and doing some court appointments there. So I'm spending a lot of time in the new year um, writing briefs. <laughs> I think that's, that's my goal this winter. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your passion for women to, to start their own law firms and really, um, claim that independence for themselves. So thank you for coming on the podcast. If the listeners want to find you, refer cases to you, follow you, how do they do so? Well, thank you again, Megan, for having me. Um, and if anyone uh, wants to connect, I, uh, our website is msdefenders, msdefenders.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter at Megan underscore Siddle. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And until next week, take care. Lawyer moms, we made it through another episode of the Mom Life and Law podcast. I'm so glad you're here. If today's episode resonated with you, I ask that you share it with another lawyer mom in your life. 
And if you haven't already done so, please leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. Until next week, remember, you are more than enough. You have a superpower that this world needs, and you are the perfect mother to your children, flaws and all. Take care. Thank you.